Hey guys, welcome back. I'm Janessa, your host, and I'm here with my cool sister, Kathy. Hi guys, I'm co-hosting this episode of Catfish. Oh wait, wrong show. <laughs> this is not Catfish. This is the Pathological Podcast. I mean, it could be. I could be catfishing you and not be recording it. <laughs> not be your sister. <laughs> yes, that'd be the ultimate catfish. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> and you could be catfishing me. I mean, your, your video is turned off for this Zoom recording, so I don't know who is really behind the microphone here. Okay, but your name isn't on the screen. Someone no, else's name it's is. It's true. So. <laughs> yes, it has uh, Mr. Pathological Podcast's name on there. <laughs> aka my editor aka the guy that does all the tech stuff because <laughs> your girl don't know how to do the tech stuff yeah we're kind of dumb <laughs> just we, kidding we may be dumb but we know a lot about true crime and spooky things <laughs> if only they had a job for that if only that would be amazing um well today on the pathological podcast we are going to get into, I almost say we're going to kick it off, but no, that was last week's episode. This week, we are covering part two of urban legends for each state. And unlike the first episode, for this second episode, we have it split. So I'm doing five that Kathy doesn't know what the stories are, and she's going to do five, and I don't know what they are. So this will be a fun surprise for all of us. Be prepared for Louisiana. It is so great. There's not a hint of sarcasm in my tone at all. I don't know, man. It's it's going to be hard, hard to top what Florida's was. You'll see. I'm pretty sure it's equal to Florida. Oh my god, I can't wait. I cannot wait. Well, going alphabetically, which for our listeners, just so you know, it took Kathy and I a good solid five minutes to figure out how we're going to do this alphabetically. Again, we're kind of dumb, so don't hold it against us. <laughs> But we figured it out that Hawaii is the one that we are going to start with. So if we mess up on the eyes, though, right. don't worry. The surprise double eyes, Hawaii. Um, oh, I meant like the states. Oh, 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 out of order. Yeah, yeah, the eyes are going to be all effed up. Sorry, I just assumed that I was, you thought I was dumb enough to not know how to spell Hawaii. <laughs> Uh, okay. All right. So Hawaii's urban legend is called the Night Marchers. Um, and we'll have a cool image up with this on our social media. So make sure to pull that up while you're listening. You can kind of check out this creepy pic. But as you might imagine, a place like Hawaii is filled with all kinds of different spooky urban legends. Um, if you're in Hawaii at night, though, and you start to hear the sounds of drumming or maybe a trumpet of a conch shell, um, it's best to just run away and not see what's approaching because these are what the local natives call the night marchers. Um, they're spirits of ancient Hawaiian warriors um, that are said to travel in groups around the islands to revisit places where they fought fierce battles during their lifetimes. It's said that those who make eye contact with these floating apparitions risk suffering a violent death, which, oh my God, uh, and being swept away into the spirit world. If there's no chance to flee from the night marchers, then it's suggested that you get down on your belly to show them respect and you keep your eyes on the ground as they pass by. <laughs> Which I was like, so creepy. So creepy. Um, 
so of course this is all rooted in like tradition and um, all of that. So there's a ceremony um, that kind of begins the march and it's customized to the taste of whatever warrior leader they're honoring. So a Hawaiian king or chief uh, known to be fond of music would be honored with a lot of drumming and chanting. But if the king or chief enjoyed peace and quiet, the march would be silent, um, like as silent as possible. Further, if the king or chief did not like to walk around that much, he would be carried in a sling by his warriors, which, okay, I'm down for that. Sign me up for being carried by some people. (laughs) Add some palm tree leaves. We're good. Yes. So in ancient Hawaiian lore, the laws declared that body parts of a king or chief um, were sacred and they were not to be seen by any mortal. The punishment for looking at these body parts was instant death, usually followed by bolts of intense light and flaming heat originating from several of the warrior's eyes as they aimed their like vision towards the mortal. (laughs) So if you looked at this king the wrong way or guess any way at all, the warriors like would stare at you and he'd burst into flames basically. Awesome. <laughs> Which I want that power. The violating mortal is incinerated instantly and the body remains dissipate as vapors into the night air. Uh, if a king or chief's face was not supposed to be observed, the king or chief would lead the assembled night marchers from the front. If his back was not supposed to be looked upon, he would be in the back of the marching group. Um, For some chiefs, though, there was no part of them that was forbidden to look at by, like, the warriors, and so those chiefs would just march along um, with the warriors in the group. So the first thing that you'll notice um, if you hear these uh, night marchers coming are the loud war war drums in the distance, and then you'll smell a foul, musky, death-like odor, quote-unquote, And you will hear the tone of a conch shell being blown for fair warning to mortals to get out of the way. You'll also see torches getting brighter and brighter as the night marchers get closer. So basically there's, there's not much you can do to stop them from the path that they want to take. So it says barriers are basically Superman then, right? Yes. Like they can. So here it says like any barriers that are placed in their path, it doesn't deter them. Um, the only thing that will work is the presence of the Thai plant. I believe it's uh, how it's pronounced. It's T-I. And uh, if you basically plant this plant, they'll avoid going near the plant. But they said no matter what you physically build, unless it's the plant, they'll just march straight through it. And then there's just kind of one of those little tips that I think is rooted in tradition. But it says one tip is to never buy a house with the back door that's lined up with the front door. So it's like shotgun style, um, because that means that this is one of their lot, the lost path of the night marchers. So I thought that was just kind of like interesting history of what they probably think at, sorry, I can talk, what they think in Hawaii, which I thought was cool. Um, And then it is said that if, if one were to experience this, um, this like if they were to hear the night marchers coming, again, the steps would be just to get away from the path immediately, lie on the ground, and by no means look at them. And basically, it just says, I mean, if they see you, they're going <laughs> to, unless you don't look at them, but they're going to, you know, burn you alive or whatever. Um, and then there is one little caveat. Um, it is possible to escape if one of the people that are there is Hawaiian and their ancestors are present. 
then the ancestor will yell mine and that basically keeps you safe. <laughs> so I was like, all right, that's pretty cool. So that is the urban legend for Hawaii. Next is Idaho, because <laughs> Idaho. <laughs> oh my God, it's like a junior high joke. <laughs> I loved it. I'm sorry. No, it's perfect. Okay, so this one is Water Babies of Massacre Rocks. Water Babies? Yes. Oh. And when I was re- researching this, it's interesting because Utah has something else that has to do with water babies, but it's completely different to what Idaho's is. Weird. So Let's I'm going to start off with a little history. Okay. And then we'll get into the legend. Awesome. So there's a place in Power County, Idaho called Massacre Rock State Park. It is also known as the Gates of Death or Devil's Gate. It was given the name by immigrants who feared a possible ambush by Native Americans because of how narrow the passage was between rocks. In 1862, 10 immigrants actually died when their wagons clashed with the Shoshone tribe. I hope I'm saying that right. There was another killing west of the Devil's Gate where the Shoshone actually killed Thomas Clark's mother and brother and the man that was traveling with them and stole their horses. Geologically, it was created by repeated volcanic activity on the Snake River Plain, and it became a state park in 1967. Whoa. So that's a little back history, and I found it interesting. (laughs) I know English. (laughs) I found it interesting. There we go. That they named it the Gates of Death just because of how migrants, when they traveled there, they were afraid of Native Americans, even though it was Native American land. Right. So why would you go somewhere at the Gates of Death? Yeah, seriously. Okay, so now on to the legend. So it, it's very sad, and I know you're a mom, so just... Oh. When Native Americans started inhabiting the area, it was time of a severe famine. It was so bad that villagers got together and decided that they couldn't feed any more mouths. So when babies were born, the mothers would take them to a nearby river and drown them, which I think it was the Snake River Plain. Oh my gosh. So they didn't have to live a life of constant starvation. It is said that if you sit on the banks of the river, you can hear the sound of babies crying. Oh my gosh. And that's pretty much all I got, but... Oh my gosh, that's so sad. (laughs) Like, it sucks that the... The only, the only way they thought they're doing best by their baby is by Yeah. Them. Oh, that's awful. It's such a tough choice because living in constant starvation isn't really a good life either. So it's kind of. Exactly. It sucks. It, and it's not like, I mean, their only birth control back then would have been no, you know, abstinence completely. It's not like they had any other form of birth control. So and, and, you know, back then, I'm sure it's, it was more submissive for women just to, you know, do it when they were told to type of way. So that's awful that they had, would have to make those choices. Utah's is completely different, though. Really? It's more sinister. Ooh. So I can't wait to get into that one. Yes. Okay. Well, we're going to bring the mood up a little bit with Illinois. That's the one that's next alphabetically. Yes, it is. I can... <laughs> I can organize alphabetically. Um, So this one, (laughs) this one's, I'm going to try to not be a 10 year old boy when I read this one um, and try not to laugh. So Illinois urban legend is the mad gasser. (laughs) What? Yes. The mad gasser. So (laughs) 
during the first two weeks of September in 1944 in Mattoon, Illinois, residents had an encounter with what would be known as the Mad Gasser. Although no one ever saw him or her in the act, you can find countless interviews and news articles about the event around the Mad Gasser, and there has even been a toy line that was created about it. So on September 1st, a woman named Miss Bert Kearney reported prowlers um, that she saw near her property to the police. She went to bed at around 11 p.m. and she said that she noticed a sickeningly sweet odor in her bedroom. Figuring that it was just the flowers outside her bedroom window, she didn't do anything. The odor grew stronger and she began to notice paralysis in her legs and lower body. Her report was that was the start of what a local reporter would then call um, a time of the mad gasser. So after that, reports came in of people seeing a tall, thin man in dark clothing near areas where supposed attacks would happen. So in a two-week span, at least 24 people would claim to be victims of the mad gasser's fumes. Four of them would seek out medical attention, um, like medical help. Two were diagnosed as having nervous tension, and the other two were diagnosed with, quote, hysteria. Oh, dang. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Just go out and say, you, ha you have hysteria. Like, what? Uh, no attacks were reported after September 11th, 1944. But the story of the Mad Gasser gained national attention, and stories of supposed firsthand accounts were published nationwide. For decades after, local newspapers would publish the story of the Mad Gasser, but as of the last, you know, few decades, they actually kind of stopped doing that, and then all the publicity and, you know, honoring of the urban legend kind of went away. But I was like, the Mad Gasser. Like, you can tell that's just something that a reporter in the 40s came up with. It's the Mad Gasser, you see? <laughs> Like, oh my gosh. <laughs> what? You don't like my reporter voice? <laughs> Please do that all the time. Oh, I can't. It like hurts my throat to talk that way. So that is Illinois. Okay, so Indiana. Indiana. The most interesting one that I found. Hey, I said it right. Yay, good job. <laughs> it's called the Hannah House. So the Hannah. <laughs> Oof. <laughs> the Hannah House was built in 1858 by Alexander Hannah. I wonder where they got that name. <laughs> he was a sheriff and a conductor for the Underground Railroad. He reportedly used his property to help freeing slaves go to Canada. One of the most popular stories, which is interesting because there are like several stories out there surrounding the Hannah house. So this was like the most interesting one I found. Awesome. For the story. But one of the most popular stories is that slaves were hiding in the Hannah cellar waiting to make a getaway when one tripped over an oil lamp and set the cellar ablaze. Oh my god. It was reported that many slaves perished quickly from smoke inhalation and severe burns. Oh no. The story goes on and says that those that died were buried under the cellar floor so the Underground Railroad wouldn't be discovered. Oh, that's so awful. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I have I picked some of the worst. <laughs> Kathy coming in with that bummer vibes. <laughs> hey, it's no skunk ape, but. <laughs> oh, skunk ape. Which, if you don't know what we're talking about, you have to go listen to the first part of the Urban Legends because Florida's... I'm telling you, like, they just set the bar 
I don't know if they set it high or low. It's hard to top Skunk Ape. Skunk Ape. No, I think Louisiana makes a play for it. Oh, I can't wait. We're almost there. Hiding slaves wouldn't be on record, so it can't be verified. But the story was passed on from generation to generation. It has been reported that the house has cold spots, foul smells, flying dishes, doors moving on their own, and voices. And you actually, um, they used to have Hannah House open to the public Mm -hmm. where they could do like a wedding venue or do private tour events. But when I looked it up, it said it was permanently closed now. Ooh, that would be a cool place. I wonder if there's any like uh, paranormal people who have gone there. I mean, I'm sure. I tried looking like just through the reviews, but... A lot of them just have pictures of it and saying like how pretty it was, but it wasn't, ah. there wasn't really any, oh, we saw a ghost. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> have your wedding here and also there's ghosts. <laughs> and it was in Indianapolis, Indiana. Home of the Colts. Home of the Colts, that's right. Um, wow, that one's actually really cool. And I like, I like the ones where there's like a physical location beyond like a stupid road. The road ones <laughs> make me mad now because I feel like... First of all, always a haunted highway. There always is literally. And for this episode, I specifically chose the, because, you know, each state obviously has many legends because states have many cities and all that history. But I specifically chose ones that weren't roads because the last one (laughs) pissed me off so much. I was like, I can't go anywhere. Every single highway is haunted. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So I believe Iowa is next. So Iowa's urban legend is the Children of Iron Hill. And this one was really cool. But again, there wasn't a lot of factual, um, you know, I couldn't find like actual records of these, but hey, they're just fun urban legends. And there's lots of firsthand accounts of people who have experienced, you know, weird things um, happening and, you know, have shared their stories online and like I know last week we talked about one of the haunted highways where a paranormal team actually came and took EVPs. So who's to say what's real and what isn't? So for Iowa, um, we're going to go to Charles City, Iowa. So heading through a wooded area in Charles City, you're walking in what used to be the Charlie Western Railroad. Um, I can talk. When constructed in 1910, the rail line looped Charles City with the neighboring towns of Colwell and Marble Rock. Like the oval shape of a child's train set, the trail curves left to the west. To the right or north is the former White Farm site. According to a local urban legend, a train crashed here in the 1920s and unwanted orphans that were on one of the little cars of the train, um, the passenger car, were were burned alive in this car. So since then, some using the uh, using the trail report that the sound of crying children and the smell of smoke, despite the fact that there are no children or fires present, appear on the farm site regularly, and it's aptly named Iron Hill because of the tracks being there. Uh, people have said they've seen the ghost of a young girl in a white dress walking through these woods. Others say they've heard their names called, even though no one else was there. When you reach a street called F Street, the trail ends. If you go right on the street to the intersection of 11th Avenue, um, before you is allegedly a, a separate haunted site. So it seems like the whole area is just kind of full of spooks. 
On one occasion, a visitor interested in the site was investigating the area, searching for any evidence um, of the wreckage that had taken place uh, many years before, looking for some answers, and they actually discovered the remains of a burnt baby doll near um, a portion of the tracks that was buried. Another story about Iron Hill's ghost has to do with an Indian burial ground that is reportedly located in the area. Some people that visit Iron Hill do actually perform rituals there from time to time. So I just feel like you're bringing in all that bad juju. Like, why would you perform a ritual there? There's got to be all types of energy going on there. Right. So that is Iowa. All right, Kansas. Um, the best one that I found was Dole Cemetery. 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 Hey. Cemetery. You know, when I wrote this, I put cemetery. Hey, you're a college like I graduate. C M E T R Y. Oh. So I'm like cemetery. That's right. <laughs> no, it's cemetery. You're a college graduate. You don't have to prove anything to anyone. <laughs> Clearly, I do. <laughs> okay, so Stoll Cemetery. So this is one of the creepiest urban legends um, that resides in Stoll, Kansas. It is considered one of the seven gateways to hell. Oh. It's considered a popular spot to perform witchcraft and for cults to perform satanic rituals. Oh my god. <laughs> According to the legend, Lucifer used an abandoned church that used to be at the center of the cemetery. The church has since been destroyed. And I heard it was because it was just like crumbling down. It was just super unsafe for children uh, to be in it. So they, uh, okay. they took away the church. He used it as his own personal doorway to hell. It is said that he was able to rise the spirits buried there, but he is only able to pass through the gateway twice a year. Midnight on the spring equinox and on Halloween. Ooh. This history is rich as well. There used to be an old tree in the cemetery with a gravestone marked witch. And the spelling of the the spelling of the word witch is W-I-T-T-I-C-H. So it might be Wittich. Oh. And they would condemn witches and hang them on the tree. It also implies that the gravestone is actually the resting place for Satan's child's bones, where the legend indicates the child was born deformed and covered in wolf hair. Oh. After the church was burned down for how unholy it was, you know, from what I read, it was just crumbling down, so they got rid of it. Ah, uh, okay. This is the legend. Right. And legend says that the Pope actually, like, will fly around it instead of flying, like, next, like, landing near the cemetery. Really? He'll go to a different spot to land. What? The Pope? The Pope. That is crazy. That's a spooky one. Anything that has to do with gates to hell. <laughs> Which makes me wonder what the other six gateways Yeah. We'll have to look that up. Maybe that'll be its own episode. Um, I think you did mention uh, witch stuff, though. And Kentucky's, which is next, is um, about some witches. I think we should do an episode on some of the history of witches and the trials and all of that because I find that super fascinating I'm down let's do it the girls my girls are going to be witches for Halloween I'm so excited I'm going to be Jason that's amazing slash what ready oh (laughs) that's right Jason at work but (laughs) we're in a Halloween party so I'm going to be ready at the party nice um I don't think I'm going to we were going to dress up but now I think 
Um, we'll probably just, you know, I have like a Halloween shirt. Actually, right now I'm wearing a shirt that I got on Amazon and it says basic witch and it has a little Starbucks girl with a witch hat. Oh, yeah, it's pretty cool. Me. Pretty cool, you guys. <laughs> okay, so for Kentucky, this one is called Pilot's Knob Witches. Um, and the story of this one is actually pretty cool. So, I mean, it's sad, but, you know, witch stuff is kind of cool to learn about. So the urban legend is about the little witch of Pilot's Knob. And we'll have pictures up for this one because the grave is actually there. And uh, the pictures are definitely, like, give you that spooky vibe. So it's a strange and scary legend surrounding a young girl who was buried in a concrete grave in Marion, Kentucky. Years ago, back around 1916, a woman named Mary Louise Ford and her five-year-old daughter, Mary Ellen Ford, were living in a, in a place called Pilot's Knob. Both mother and daughter were accused of being witches because, you know, back in that time, if you sneezed the wrong way, they accused you of being a witch. And normally the villagers should have brought them to trial, but they were so superstitious that these girls were witches that they instead dragged the mother and daughter out of their house and burned them alive at the stake. The, they buried the mother's body somewhere. It's never been documented where, but they were afraid that the little girl witch would come back from the dead in search of revenge. So the fearful villagers made sure they took precautions to protect themselves. They buried her right there in Pilot's Knob in a steel reinforced coffin. After they lowered her into the grave, they filled it with concrete and then they put gravel all over the top and built a metal fence all around the grave site. The fence is made with uh, interconnected white crosses, which the villagers believe would help the ghost of the little girl witch trapped inside. And according to legend, the little girl ghost paces back and forth behind the fence. They say that she is still searching for her mother who was buried elsewhere but she cannot escape the, con the confines of the fence. Some people have even seen tiny child's footprints in the gravel um, over her grave. Locals believe that if you visit the little witch's grave alone and get too close, her hands will come up from the grave, grab hold of you, and drag you down into the concrete. Those who have seen her say she wears a white dress that is scorched at the bottom and her long blonde hair smolders at the ends. People who live in the area advise visitors not to go near the grave site. I actually read a blog post of a guy who he and his friend drove three hours to go visit this grave site and they stopped somewhere to get gas. And he kind of asked like, hey, you know, can you point me in the direction of this grave site? I just want to make sure the map I have is correct. And they basically were like, people don't go there. There's a lot of stuff that happens there. Uh, you need to turn around and not go into that cemetery. And he was like, nah, we gonna go. And he had some creepy experiences there. Nah, we gonna go. <laughs> we gonna go. So while stories about the gravesite go back decades, and naturally, uh, you know, the more it's retold, the more details there are thrown into this. Um, there's not much evidence that supports that anyone was actually burned at the stake. Um, there is, like I said, a gravesite with the tombstone for uh, Mary Ellen Ford. But they said that... Uh, they believe that it's documented that she died of something called peritonitis, which is an inflammation of the stomach lining. But you know what, back in those times, and especially I think if you've 
read at all about the witch trials and, and some of these areas where like in Massachusetts and stuff where, you know, they didn't do their due diligence of, of doing a, like a trial. Instead, they just kind of were like, yeah, you're a witch. <laughs> like, know how to read you're a witch yeah right exactly independent woman you're a witch you wear pants witch yeah pants witch hair up witch <laughs> like <laughs> that's basically how it was so I feel like they might not have if they documented it which I don't think they did they probably would have destroyed the documents just out of like pure embarrassment like man so that we we definitely have to do an episode because it uh it's pretty crazy some of the ways that they tried to test women to see if they were witches but for Kentucky, that is the Pilot's Knob, which is urban legend. It reminds me of the play I did my junior year of high school, The Crucible. I don't know if they made you do it, but it was about the witch trials. No. It's pretty cool. Dang, that sounds awesome. I don't even think we talked about them at all. <laughs> we did it as part of our, because um, I was in AP, so we did it as one of our assignments. Oh, that's cool. But- it's a, it's a cool play. You should check it out. What's it called? The Crucible. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, I remember maybe reading that. No, actually, I don't think I read it. I think we got like a list of books to choose from and I chose something else for, for mine. But that's really cool that you guys actually did a play on it. It's okay. You didn't know better back then. I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> so the next one, guys, is Louisiana. Louisiana. And I think it's like school cake. Yes, I can't wait. So this is the legend of the Rougarou. The what? The Rougarou. The Rougarou? <laughs> yeah. And I'm going to be purely honest with y'all. I chose the Rougarou because it's just a fun word to say. I do like it. The Rougarou. Anyway, it's basically their legend of the werewolf. Ah, Okay. It's descriptive has standing on two feet with the head of a wolf. The Rougarou, also known as the Loop Guru, which I think is the loop is French for wolf. Um, it has sharp claws and a blood curling howl. This legend dates back to the 16th century and derives from the French. Basically, if someone acted strangely in the village, the people would believe that the person was being are turning into a Rougarou, <laughs> and they would have them publicly executed. Oh my god. Church used the story of the Rougarou to scare people into not breaking Lent, and parents used it to scare kids into behaving. Oh, dang. Power move. <laughs> Rougarou. The Rougarou. Though I would say there are people that have, like, I don't know exactly what it's called, but it's a werewolf disease where oh yeah grow like an insane amount of body hair yes so i wonder if like some people in their village just had oh that yeah issue. just had that genetic issue and they were like oh, it's a rougarou <laughs> oh, <a> <laughs> i like that one rougarou the rougarou but i can't even find like a lot of information on it it was just like oh this is the rougarou <laughs> I like that voice that you say it with, too. (laughs) It's just a fun word to say. (laughs) Dean Jacob is a Rougarou. The Rougarou. I um, just realized that the last one that we'll do, my last state, is also very skunk ape-like. It's a different animal, but it's very similar. (laughs) But I think you have Maine, yes? 
Yes. Okay. And this, it's another haunting. Ooh. So, so this is the Woods Island Lighthouse Haunting. Sounds so awesome. this lighthouse is said to be haunted due to a murder-suicide that occurred there in 1896. The story goes that Howard Hobbs, a fisherman, 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 <laughs> that was, sorry, <laughs> that was living at the lighthouse, shot his landlord and then oh. himself because he was unable to pay rent. Oh. Reports of moaning and unexplained shadows were being reported by keepers of the lighthouse. Ooh, spooky. <laughs> Lighthouses are dang spooky. Like, I don't trust the shape of a lighthouse. Why? <laughs> I don't know. It just doesn't. The shape is weird. <laughs> don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> If you uh, listen to the podcast long enough, you'll know that I have some weird things that just are are weird for me. I don't know. I've accepted it. It is what it is. But we are at Maryland, and I think this is actually a a good one, maybe, quote unquote good, uh, to end on, because it's funny. It's going to bring the vibes back up after that kind of sad one that Kathy told (laughs) Hey, I had the Rougarou. <laughs> Rougarou. That was a pretty uplifting one <laughs> compared to my other ones. That is true. And if anything, you just can have the joy of saying Rougarou. Right? <laughs> now all of our listeners can enjoy the Rougarou. The Rougarou. I feel like we need to have a jingle. The Rougarou. I don't know what would come after that, but <laughs> got, got the first part down. <laughs> okay. Um, So we're going to end part two of this whole series with Maryland, and their urban legend is on the Goat Man. Yes, I said it, the Goat Man. So for such a small state, Maryland delivers big on folklore. It's probably because it's so old. I mean, it's one of the 13 original colonies. Um, There's been wars fought there, all kinds of different history made there, and people from all over have settled in this state. And then they bring their own stories and urban legends with them. And it kind of gets thrown into like a melting pot of, you know, storytelling and folklore. So the goat man of Maryland is a legendary half goat, half man creature that has the head and hindquarters. I was like, I need to find a nice way to say, butt. so I found hindquarters of a goat. Sounds very professional. Thank you. That's, that's what this podcast is about being super professional. Heck yeah. (laughs) So the head and hindquarters of a goat and the body of a human. So, you know, take that imagery as you will. The like Satan? Uh, yeah, I guess so. I don't think he's red. I think he just kind of looks like if you smushed a human and a goat together. (laughs) What if like, never mind. I won't continue that. That's a disgusting thought. Oh, okay. I think I know where you're going to go with that. And I think it's better for our sweet listener ears. That <laughs> We're very professional. Remember, keep it profesh. So the goat man allegedly does all the things that you would expect a deranged half goat, half man to do. He kills teenagers. He eats dogs. He screams like a goat. You know, the usual so thing. Ah! <laughs> yes. Can you imagine if you were a teenager? Because apparently he doesn't like teenagers. <laughs> and all of a sudden you hear, ah! <laughs> you look behind you. 
<laughs> it's a goat man. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, Very professional. It's so professional. But the most terrifying aspect is just how deep this like story of the goat man goes. So it's it's so ingrained in Maryland's like history that the USDA was forced at one point to publicly deny accidentally creating the goat man in their Beltsville Agricultural Research Center. <laughs> Which what? I just like So what are they doing in their research center? Not making goat men, that's for sure. Probably. But they have to release a statement like that though. That they have to, I know. And I should have looked it up to like see what what it is that they do there because I, I don't know. But apparently like people were like mm, feeling pretty sketch about it and did you hear scientists are making half pig half human what no i did not i don't even know why like why uh, yeah really like why i mean what are what are you hoping to discover with science at, maybe at that? like organs that oh maybe use, but then why create it yeah like you're, creating a mo- like you're creating something that's basically living to die right what yeah that's I just—I don't know how I feel. Let's create dinosaurs. Why the hell hasn't Jurassic Park happened yet? I feel like the technology is there. Life finds a way, Janessa. It better because <laughs> in my lifetime, I want to go to a dang dinosaur theme park. I just want to own a Spinosaurus. Oh my gosh. You know what? I don't know. If I could pick, not that we're getting so super off topic here, but I don't know. I think, I feel like part of me would be like, yeah, I want to own a Velociraptor. But then another part of me was like, meh, maybe like a baby stegosaurus or something. <laughs> I've given this question very much. Or pterodactyl. Yes, pterodactyl. Fly around. Yes. Like you could hook up like a. Eat the Karens. What? I said, eat the Karens. Oh, eat the Karens. I thought you said, I thought you just yelled out, meet the parents. <laughs> what? <No. laughs> you having a stroke over there? Keep it professional, Kathy. <laughs> Uh, anyways, if you're listening, first of all, if you're out there and you're a Karen, we're going to eat you with our dinosaurs. Well, not not the nice Karens, but if you're like yes. a bitchy quote-unquote right. quote Karen, yes. then you're going to be Yes. Sorry about not it, sorry. But, but not sorry. Um, and also, if you are a scientist that can make dinosaurs happen, please do. Thanks. Official message. Um, okay, so back to Maryland. So... Another tale that revolves around um, how this goat man came to be was that it's about a goat farmer who, after realizing that a group of rowdy teenagers had killed his goats, went totally crazy and then turned into the teen-slaying goat monster. <laughs> like these damn teens, and then he killed them. Supposedly. So, like, maybe he, like, took a goat head and just, like... Right. Like, maybe he went that crazy... And like, I mean, I think, I don't think he could, but maybe he just put it on top of his head like a hat. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> so another variation. But why of, would he eat dogs? Yeah, I don't know. Dog, I mean, maybe because dogs like warn you when there's danger coming. And his whole thing is like sneaking up on people. Okay, my dogs, all except Bella, would probably let something eat me. <laughs> Let's be honest here. <laughs> well, maybe it only eats the dogs that are like Bella then. <laughs> the warning. Snoring in the corner right now. <laughs> So, 
Another variation of the legend tells the goat man as an old, uh, tells of the goat man as an old hermit who lives in the woods um, and can be seen walking alone um, at night along Fletchertown Road. He's actually, this legend has inspired a horror movie that's called Deadly Detour. Um, But in their version, instead of having a guy that was half goat, half human, they just kept him human. Um, I think it was like a low budget film. Oh, that's lame. Yeah, I know. You get Sharknado, that's low budget. You can have a goat. (laughs) Seriously, just put that man, wrap him up in a green screen and you can do whatever. (laughs) Come on. Um, And then actually a Halloween attraction that's in Maryland is also inspired by this legend. So um, the history of it is um, basically, even though the story's been around for a while, the first recorded media mentions of the Goatman occurred in 1971, uh, courtesy of the writer Karen Holsler of the Prince George's County News. The first thing that she wrote was a deep dive into Maryland folklore, followed by an actual news item about a family who blamed the brutal decapitation of their puppy on the Goatman. Which, um, you know, some, some say that they just heard about the goat man through previous folklore and made it up. I feel like it's a pretty effed up thing to say, because how the heck does a puppy get decapitated? Probably not from a goat man. Uh, so one month later, the Washington Post ran a national feature detailing the legend of the goat man. Ultimately, the Goatman has become one of America's most persistent and well-known urban legends, with claimed sightings still occurring with regularity, and even some more fictionalized, like, creepy stories um, will get published as, like, first-hand accounts in local newspapers and stuff. So, yeah, that is Maryland's urban legend. The Goatman. The Goatman. That is well-known, but I haven't heard about it till today. I had not heard about it. So when I was like, I think somebody from Maryland wrote this article because nobody else has heard about this. <laughs> I think my favorite one out of all of these was the Rougarou. Rougarou. What is it? Rougarou. The Rougarou. That's my favorite. <laughs> I like that one. Just because it's fun to say. It's just, just because it's fun. The story is not necessarily that great, but like it's still kind of sad, but the word is fun. <laughs> I mean, it sucks that, you know, religion, Ugh, they yeah. try to scare you into submission. Not all. Not all. But definitely back then. Yeah. Or yeah. like parents trying to scare the kids. Oh my God. Don't eat vegetables. The rule is going to kiss you. <laughs> eat your goddamn broccoli. As a parent, I feel like that would backfire, at least in this house. Like, I'd be like, eat your broccoli or the Ruger is going to get you. And then for the next year, I would have two children wanting to sleep in the bed with me at night because they were afraid the Ruger is going to get them. Or they'll just keep repeating the word until you hate it so much. Actually, you're right. That's the more likely scenario. <laughs> like, mama, what's the Ruger? Oh, my God. Oh, that reminds me of um, the... Uh, history of Krampus. Have you read anything about that at all? No. So I've seen the movie though. Oh, I have not seen the movie because <laughs> it looks scary. But <laughs> basically, like Krampus was this, you know, like basically the opposite of Santa Claus, and and it was parents used it as a way to keep their children like in line and being nice and eating their vegetables and all the things. And they he would say, "It looks like a goat man." He does. He does. And they would say, like, if you don't do 
XYZ, Krampus is going to take you. And he, so he carries around like a sack that he stuffs the children into and then he brings them to where, I think, I don't know if he goes to hell or wherever he goes, but he brings them with him, apparently. European tradition. Ugh, crazy. That would be a fun one to do around Christmas time, though. Do some, like, Krampus-y ones. Krampus. Krampus. Okay, that does it for part two of Urban Legends. Uh, For part three, we're going to have a cool guest on with us um, who is actually from one of the states that the urban legend is one of the urban legend one of the urban legends is about um and so that will be cool to kind of hear what her firsthand account of that state's urban legend will be so look forward to that and make sure if you haven't already you like us on social media uh facebook and instagram it's the pathological podcast for both we are on tiktok too yes Yes, I forgot. And is it just Pathological Podcast on TikTok? Yes, ma'am. Yes. Miss Kathy runs that for me because I'm old and I don't know how to do TikTok. <laughs> so my young hip sister does it for me. Hip. Hip. Um, and then if you want to, I mean, really, if you want to just share like a case with us that you'd like us to cover, if you want to, we are looking forward to sharing like paranormal stuff. I think I've talked about this in like every episode, but, um, I think it's just so cool to hear people's different experiences with, uh, the paranormal, with hauntings, all of that kind of stuff. So if you want to write your story in, or if you want to be on the podcast, just send us an email. It's pathologicalpodcast at gmail.com, or you can just message us on Facebook or Instagram. Um, We'll see it. But I think that would be really cool, and especially with um, spooky season getting ever closer. And October, like, is right there. I can, we can. And if you have an urban legend from a state that we haven't covered that you'd like to share, let us know. Yes, because we can definitely read those um, on there, especially if, like I said, just every state has such so many to choose from that we couldn't we couldn't pick them all. So definitely share with us your faves and then make sure you check out um, episodes one and two. That is a really cool case. And if you feel like going down the rabbit hole um, on the Internet for hours after you listen to it, that that's the case for you. You can find us, um, we're on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, and all of those are free to listen on. We're on a couple other platforms too, like Podcaster, Radio Public, I think is one. And we're still waiting to get on Apple. We're almost on Apple. I just I think it can take another couple of days. But I'll update the social media once we are on. And that's it. So thank you, Kathy, for doing this with me. Thank you for catfishing with me. <sighs> anytime. Anytime. And we'll catch you guys on the next episode. Bye. Bye.